0: Welcome to the Gather Houston podcast. We are a Christian community practicing the way of Jesus in all parts of life and for the good of all people. Thank you for joining us today. What's up, Gather? Good morning. How y'all doing? Weak sauce. How you doing? Nice. So uh, as Josh mentioned, it might not feel to some of you like I'm a guest speaker necessarily, like the word guest even kind of feels weird to me because some of you guys, my kids play with your kids, we've had coffee, we've had lunch, we've worked out together, so let's just phrase it like this, I'm your crazy cousin that came over to kick it. <laughs> it, it might The expression might be a little bit different in how the teaching goes this morning, but it's all love, we're all family. Um, speaking to that, the expression and the way things are taught, I want to share this before we dive in, I really wrestled a bit with studying John chapter 15 what we'll be teaching on today and I thought about how as John's recording this gospel he never once references and Jesus took notes and stressed and had anxiety about what he would say and it also didn't say that the people listening necessarily felt this heavy burden to like take this note and what's this and then that look I am sacrificing all charisma today on the altar of authenticity I've decided to give you what's real, R-E-A-L, and not what's real, R-E-E-L. I don't care how it looks on the gram. It's not about looking good. It's about being good. So this message literally won't even have a title. We'll just have a connected conversation about Christ. And I love John 15 because it's all written in red letters. To me, that's powerful. So my wife and I have been on this journey um, in just exploring the Gospels and like following what did Jesus say? What did he do? What stories did he tell? What was the impact? Who was he speaking to? What's the historical context behind it? What I love about it being in red letters is there's literally no debate. You got to take it for what it is. He said it. We live it, right? What I love about Gather Church, the place that I get to share on it about today, uh, is that Gather doesn't, and I mean this sincerely, I want you to really receive this if you're part of the Gather family. Gather doesn't just gather on Sunday mornings. Gather gathers for worthy causes and wounded souls. I've once heard it said that every church should be able to get a positive letter of recommendation from the local homeless community. Here at Gather, y'all can do that. That's powerful. Thank you for who you are in the community. And one thing that I love about the Gospels is that it is zeros in on this 33 year tight span of human history where god was human and walked the earth where god was fully god and fully man jesus felt our feelings jesus struggled with the same temptations jesus experienced things like depression and anxiety jesus was the god man like i love this little like we in the old testament we get, we get so much lore and legalism And in the New Testament, following the Gospels, we get all the logistics and lectures, how to establish and run a church, what not to do, who to kick out of the church. But in this 33-year span that Jesus is here, all we get is truth and love and forgiveness and grace. And I love that he went to, man, controversial levels of love and inclusion to make sure that the least of these was seen and served and supported I love how there were certain demographics, certain communities, certain, you know, this person has leprosy. Oh, they're sick. They're unclean. Don't touch them. Jesus touches them. And he doesn't only touch them. His touch actually heals them, right? Beautiful. So we're diving into John 15 today. Uh, I've been following along with the Gather podcast, by the way, and Pastor Josh has been crushing it with uh, the book of John. And I just, I want to set the tone for the setting where we are, so you can kind of zero in with me on, like, the moment, the room we're in, who Jesus is speaking to, and then we'll dive right into chapter 15. And if you've been here and a part of Gather throughout this year, this year with Jesus, which I love that theme, by the way, of just spending a whole year focusing on Jesus's words, life, and practices, um, this will really flow right into what you've been learning lately. So the location in John 15, we're in the upper room. So this is a second floor dining room in a house, and it's on top of Mount Zion. So the Last Supper has just gone down, famous moment. Jesus washes the disciples' feet after supper, and he's talking to them in what theologians would call the farewell discourses. He's letting them know, I'm about to be out of here. They're coming to get me, but don't don't trip. I'll be back. Okay? And so they're having this kind of tough conversation. There's a lot of emotion in the room. And, And Jesus is trying to say to them what is most important for them to hear. These are literally just about his last words to his disciples before things get real. This is like the culmination of, let's say you're on your deathbed, not to be morbid, but like, what would you say to your best friends? What would you say to your grandkids? What would you say to your spouse, the love of your life? This is what we're hearing from Jesus from his best friends. And I love this. I'll read verse three through five here. And you'll notice verse four coming up on a screen here momentarily. Verses three through five in John 15 read, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. I love how one of the the lyrics in a song this morning expressed that. Take it easy. God already loves you completely. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. And then it goes into verse four, remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. Verse 5 reads, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. Let's zero in on verse 4 there. Let's go right back to that, the heart and soul, I believe, of this entire chapter. And, and, and keep in mind, too, we today in the Western Hemisphere inside of a church on a Sunday morning are deciding this is a chapter. What it was in that moment was a conversation in a dining room. This one snapshot, this one sentence from that conversation, bringing it into that context makes it so much more real for me and vivid in my life, and hopefully it does for you too. Verse 4, remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. What I think is so beautiful is that the people who have studied this historically would say that this was an object lesson. This wasn't Jesus being deep. It feels deep to us today today. But in that moment, they were in what's called an oral culture. Only the wealthiest people would have had full literacy to be able to read and write. And so they needed these uh, devices, these things that they could remember a speech by so they could actually apply it to life later. And so it's said, or tradition holds, that this second-story dining room had big windows. And there were overgrown vines on the top of the building. So there could have been vines hanging down within view of the window, And Jesus is literally saying, not with a well-crafted speech or with notes to rely on, literally saying, hey, you see that vine right there outside the window? Okay, bet. So that's me, and you are the branches of that vine. If you want your life to bear fruit, you'd have to be connected to that vine, right? Because the vine is connected to the roots, and nothing that's not connected to the roots can bear any fruits. So if you want your life to bear fruit, get connected to the roots, I'm that thing you connect to. So I could say in Houston, Texas in 2023, if I wanted to apply that in the same way, something that's simple and strong, and this is unscripted, this is just real. Like, let's say coffee, right? There's, there's coffee out in the lobby. I noticed this morning that my uh, premium Chemex coffee situation, my pour over, uh, my, my glass, it's just like a beautiful structure. If you've ever seen a Chemex, if you're a coffee snob like me, you know what I'm talking about. It's sitting on the counter, and to the left side of it, is my bag of ground coffee beans, and to the right side of it is my sink where we get water. All of these things were close, but there was no coffee. When I make these things become connected, right, I heat up the water, I pour in the beans, I do my little pour over thing as I uh, play my lo-fi music on a Sunday morning with sunlight coming in the blinds, now I have coffee. I love how there's a difference between closeness and connection. And I feel like that was the point of the vine and branches story. It was simple. See that outside the window? This is me. That's you. This is how we are to be connected. But even though it was simple, it was profoundly strong. Closeness won't get it done. I believe that Jesus didn't call us to a stale, stagnant Sunday morning tradition. It has to continue in every area of life. He called us to connection. And so, what are we? What are we here to do? We're here to extract this piece from uh, four and carry it into our lives and be truly connected. It's it's not about closeness in proximity, but connection in chemistry. A question, a big question: Are we after a legislation of Jesus that parades him as a mascot for the powerful, or are we after the life of Jesus? in a practice of making friends with the misfit. It's about oneness, friends. And I believe that Jesus calls us to not just a religious ritual that lives with a tight fist, but rather a relational reliance that lives with an open palm. And as he continues to go through this discourse of the things that are most important to him and most important for them to then carry... I love how he goes on this rant in verses 12 through 17. And again, we'll get a verse here on the screen for you. Um, That verse will be 17, the end of this. Jesus says, this is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay his own life down for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore. Because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I have appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you love one another. 17 sums it all up. This is what I command you, love one another. But I love the context. Again, this wasn't five, six verses in that day. It is that now because we've segmented it. It's gone through literary review. There's been a board of people who have canonized and selected. What do we keep? What do we scrap? How do we put it together? We got to organize it. Got to put it in a book. At the time, it was a conversation. What I love about this is he repeats something three times. Here in verse 12, this is my command. Love one another as I have loved you, right? Then he gives an example. No one has greater love than this to lay his life down. Then he says in 17, this is what I command you. He's repeating it again. Love one another. Remember oral culture. Remember they needed things to be expressed very clearly as they weren't writing notes so they could carry it over into life. What's being repeated What's being emphasized? What is it that I need to cling to on Wednesday in a stressful meeting with my overbearing micromanaging boss that I picked up on Sunday that I can apply in this moment such that I didn't just have closeness to Jesus, I'm connected to Jesus, and it affects the way I respond. Love one another. Wild. Wild how there was no exclusion to who gets love. Wild how there was no limitation to it. Wild how this was the ultimate expression of Jesus' heart toward us and our heart posture toward others. I love how also he talks in 15 and 16 from that same little piece about how he doesn't call us servants anymore. He calls us friend. And I went digging into the Greek lexicon, the original language spoken in that day. And the word that he uses for servant is Doulos, which would have meant either slave or servant, depending on how you translate it. But these are the only two words in the current modern English dialect that you could get to from that old Greek lexicon. Slave or servant. One who gives over his life fully in submission to another and is therefore under their dominance and is subservient to them. But he says, I don't call you that. Instead, I call you friend. This is philoi. This in the Greek lexicon would have meant not the kind of friend that you would just call your homie. This isn't the friend that's like, oh, yeah, Travis, I talked to him two weeks ago. Yeah, I hope he's doing all right. This would have been the type of friend that is chosen family. Notice those first three letters, that Phi, you know, Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. Like this is that brother friend, that sister friend. This is that person who holds you accountable to your goals, who you check in with very often, who uh, you buy their coffee one time, the next time you meet up, they buy yours. This is that friend who your kids play with their kids. This is a deep and intimate connection. Why would he call us that level of friend if all he ever wanted to us was a soft closeness and not a deep connection. And so my challenge to us this morning, my encouragement to us this morning is to one, don't just take what some dude named Terry said (laughs) on Sunday morning, but to go and sit with John chapter 15 and really siphon from that, what is Jesus saying to me that I could respond to better? Who is it in my life that, inspired by the word of Jesus, I could respond to better, right? And then, two, another thing here is, um, what am I uniquely qualified to bring to the body of Christ? If I were in that room, in that day, what would I extract from what was being said, and how would I live different because of it? You know, I love that not only were there these vines hanging out of a window that he could point to in the same way that today we could talk about coffee, because who doesn't love coffee, right? Like, it's the it's the ultimate analogy to anything in life. They step out of this room, and they walk through a valley called the Valley of Kidron, and all through this valley were vineyards. All through this valley were vines similar to what would have been hanging on this building, and these vines were producing great fruit, reportedly, and he makes this example of how the branches that are not connected to the vine end up being discarded. They fall away because they can't bear fruit. But the ones that remain on the vine can produce fruit. I think it's so important that they're in a valley moment because now remember the upper room where they're having this conversation, it's on Mount Zion. Give you a little bit of geography. Where Where they end up going next through this valley is to the Mount of Olives. And the Garden of Gethsemane is at the base of that mountain. Now, I love hiking. I don't know how many of you love hiking. So I'm going to just put it in the most plain English possible. The only way between one mountaintop and another mountaintop is through the valley, right? So if there's any encouragement or inspiration to this today, uh, I want to remind you that if you find yourself in a valley moment, literally, geographically, and even figuratively and spiritually, you are at a breaking point between one mountaintop and another, You've seen your, your most glorious mountaintop moments, your best days, the brightest of victory in your life, and you feel like you've gone from victory to valley. But passing through the valley means you're literally on your way to your next victory. I love also how Kidron, and again, I'm a, I'm a geek for language and lexicon. I went back into the original Greek there too. Kidron literally means obscurity and sadness. Wow. Jesus like love embodied fully god fully man and he's going to like go emo on us like this right like i'm about to tell you i'm going ghost on you and then i'm going to take you through the literal valley of obscurity and sadness what's so powerful here though is that when you find yourself in a valley of obscurity and sadness you can still experience the fullness of love and peace and joy and purpose and fulfillment, but if and only if you do remain connected to Christ. Not close. If I'm close, I can choose conveniently when I want to stand with an individual and when I want to step away from it because like, ooh, that doesn't fit in here socially, right? This is awkward. If I'm connected though, I'm interwoven. The, the hot water has hit the bean, and something has chemically changed here. Not closeness in proximity, but connection through chemistry, being one with Christ. And so I hope that if you find yourself in a valley, in a Kidron moment today, that you know that there is hope to be found in that place of connection. And if not, let's say you're in a mountaintop moment. I hope you know today that there is a call, there's a command, there's a question mark over your life. Who will you be here? Will you love people well? Will you operate as like a servant to Jesus? Like, yeah, man, I pull up on Sundays and I I put some chairs out and I set up the the coffee machine and the greeter station. Or a friend of Jesus. I can't wait till you meet this awesome friend of mine that I have such a connection to. In closing gather, I want to thank you again for who you are. I want to thank you for the fact that you don't just gather here in this space. You don't—you didn't just gather at 10 1⁄2 Street. You gather for worthy causes and for wounded souls. This is the type of friendship with the world we're called to have by the one who calls us friend and not servant. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in Gather, check out our website at gatherhouston.org or visit us on Sunday at 10 a.m.